Good morning, Northwestern. It's so good to see you all. I can kind of see you all. These lights are a little bright, but um, man, I just love worshiping with you guys. This is such a powerful experience each time. It is so special. And uh, it really leans a lot to me. It's one of my favorite parts of this job. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Dayton. I'm the worship guy for chapel. And I'm so glad to be with you all today. Now, uh, I'm not trying to be that guy that talks about the weather every time I'm up here. But can we just talk about for a second how the fact that last week, at this time, it was upper 90s, right? It was like the worst part of summer, and then on Wednesday, God just decided uh, fall starts now. Thank you. That is a reason to give thanks. It is a reason to give praise. Um, I love everything about fall. I'm glad that I'm not the only one. Uh, I'm completely here for it, you guys. I was ready like three or four weeks ago. Um, I love... Uh, football. Um, We're not going to talk about the fact that the Vikings are who we thought they were. Um, No, no, don't clap for that. That's, there's no applause. That's, that's a moment of silence is what that is. It was, it was just so disappointing. We're also not going to talk about the fact that my fantasy team performed even worse. Um, But everything else about fall is great. Um, I'm not a pumpkin spice latte guy, but, but my wife makes this like version of apple crisp, but with pumpkins instead, with pumpkin instead, and it is magical. And it's like the essence of fall in a casserole dish. Um, So... Lots of things to love about fall. I dress today in my most uh, autumnal outfit uh, in order to kind of fit that theme. And I wasn't even like too hot, like walking in from my car, which is great. Um, So fall is the inauguration of a new season. We have lots of new around here. It's a new school year. Um, We have new people on campus. Um, We have a new schedule. There's a new chapel theme, and that's what I get to speak about today. So um, a couple weeks ago, or about a week and a half ago, uh, Darren did an amazing job of kind of setting up the overview of our theme this year for chapel, Thy Kingdom Come. And so I get to kind of step into the first installment of that, and so um, my talk today is called The Inauguration of the Kingdom. So this takes, we're going to be spending some time in Matthew 3 and 4. And let's talk about the word inauguration. Inauguration is um, something that marks the start of a new season or a new period or a new point in time or a new administration. Um, It can be a ceremony to mark the beginning of something. And I think that we've, uh, we're familiar with, if you've been around, uh, if you were around last year, we experienced an inauguration, right? I took this straight off the website. Um, Dr. Corbin Hornbeek, our new president, was inaugurated last year. I was not here. Freshmen and transfer students, y'all were not here. But I heard that it was a really big deal. There was a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance. There was a lot of formality and recognition of the gravity of this moment, ushering in a new era for Northwestern. 
Um, I also heard that that medallion is super, super heavy. Uh, Christina told me that she got to hold it, and it's super heavy. So there was literal weight and figurative weight to the occasion. And it was a really big deal, as it should be. As it should be. The inauguration of the kingdom, however, was different. It was not formal. It was not a huge ceremony. It was not universally recognized. There was not um, a ceremony. There was no medallion that I'm, I don't think, that I'm, I'm given to understand from scripture. It started in the wilderness with a kind of wild looking prophet who literally ate bugs. That was the inauguration of the kingdom. So, Matthew 3, 1 and 2 says this, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here we have John the Baptist. Now, why is this such a big deal? This is a big deal because this is the first time in 400 years that God's people have had a direct word from him. This is the first prophet. There has been radio silence between God and his people. Now, this is a people that is used to having him tabernacle in their midst, God dwelling in the midst of his people. Words from the Lord regularly. But they didn't listen, and they didn't listen, and they didn't listen. If you read through the Old Testament, anybody doing Old Testament survey this year, you get pretty frustrated, right? You get frustrated with their lack of response. But I think we'll find that we have some things in common, unfortunately. This is the first word from the Lord in 400 years. So John comes, he comes not to the center of the population, not to the middle of town, not even to the temple. He comes out to the wilderness. He comes to a lonely place. And he starts preaching this, this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and baptizing people that are coming to confess their sins. Then we read further in the story, Jesus shows up. This is the first time we've heard, you go from chapter 2 of Matthew to chapter 3, there is a time lapse of probably about 30 years, maybe 28. So we, we literally, in Matthew, we literally don't hear anything from Jesus after he flees from his life to Egypt and comes back. And then all of a sudden, we're fast forward to John the Baptist and then Jesus coming to him as a fully grown adult to get baptized. So Jesus comes to John, he gets baptized. There's this voice from heaven that says, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then we come to Matthew 4, 17. It says, from then on, so Jesus comes to the wilderness. He comes back. He comes back to civilization. And he says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exact message that John preached at the beginning of chapter 3. 
Now, I want to give us just a little reminder of the definition that, that Darren gave of what the kingdom of heaven or what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of heaven is the reign and rule of God where God is king, we are his servants, where his will is done, and where his design and intention for creation are fully realized. And remember, we have that kind of that Venn diagram. So we have um, our world, we have the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven breaks through into our world, and you have that section in the middle of the Venn diagram where the kingdom has intersected but not been, been fully uh, realized. And this is where that starts, right? This parallel message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is where those two circles of that Venn diagram start to intersect. This is when God's kingdom purposes start to take shape and become realized in a more formal, overt, explicit way. And so from this passage, I just want to give uh, three observations about God's kingdom purposes. All right? First of all, I think when we look at this story, we can learn that God's kingdom purposes take time. God's kingdom purposes take time. John and Jesus were both fully grown adults when they started their ministry. And if you remember from Luke, Jesus was ready at age 12. Jesus knew who he was He wasn't even a teenager yet, and he knew who he was. He knew what his mission was. So his parents are looking all over Jerusalem for him. He's in the temple, and they're like, where were you? And he's like, "Uh, duh, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? He was ready then, but he waited another math majors. How much is that? Um, 12 years, right? Another 12 years to start his ministry. Why? It's because God is not on the same timeline as we are. And he has different priorities in mind that he's carrying out behind the scenes, whether we're aware of it or not. There is a major highway that goes right past my church. And the road that goes over it is kind of a main artery for everyone getting in uh, to it, you know, getting to our campus. And this summer... Um, they completely tore out that bridge. It is it completely gone um, because it needed repair and they wanted to put in a pedestrian walkway because before there was no safe way for people trying to get across the freeway. It was uh, literally a dangerous situation. So it has been obliterated all summer and then they keep adding different sections of road work so it's almost been impossible to get on campus. And every time I drive by, I'm like, they're just moving piles of dirt from over here to over here. Like, you see no progress whatsoever. And then a couple weeks ago, I hadn't been by in a, in a minute. I hadn't seen, and all of a sudden, there's, there's a bridge. It's not open yet, but like, there's been like visible progress. And I'm like, okay, what were they doing for the other three months of the summer? This is why I'm not a civil engineer. It's not how my brain works. Um, What they were doing was they were 
laying a firm foundation. They were driving um, pylons or whatever you call them down into bedrock so that when they build this bridge, it's going to stay up. And I think that I'm going to be very grateful um, that they did that when it's done because I can drive across it safely without worrying. Here's my point. There's always more going on underneath the surface that God is using to lay the groundwork to prepare the way of what's coming next. And that doesn't happen on our schedule. So God's kingdom purposes take time. Number two, God's kingdom purposes are forged in the wilderness. John the Baptist is a voice crying in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness in preparation for his kingdom mission. We talked about this a little bit last year. Last time that I spoke, the wilderness is a place of formation. It's an ongoing theme throughout all of scripture. It's a place of refinement. It's a place of discipline. It's a place of silence and solitude. It's a place where all the noise and the distractions are stripped away. And we can hear the voice and experience the heart of God. It's also a place of preparation for what's coming next. So that's the second one. God's kingdom purposes are forged in the wilderness. Number three, God's kingdom purposes start with repentance. John and Jesus, same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that's the best like marketing strategy. If you're trying to gain a following, right? You just, you open with that. I would start with come and get free donuts for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that's not what they said. It's not an attractional model. So what is repentance? Repentance is a recalibration. If sin is missing the mark, if, if sin is going off target, repentance is recalibrating so that we are in line with God's will and God's way. It's to make a 180 degree turnaround to turn from our sin and turn back to God and his best. It's not just feeling bad about sin, that's part of it. It's not just about the moralistic appearance of a shift in behavior. It's a heart movement. It's a heart movement before it's an external modification because that's what God wants most. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. So let me tell you a, a silly story of um, how I've experienced the need to repent. Um, it was either late high school or early college, um, and I was working with my dad. I worked with my dad over the summers, um, and we went out to lunch one day at a Taco Bell, and so I ordered my food, and I got a water, and then I walked over to the soda dispenser, and I hit Fanta. Start filling my cup up with orange soda, Right? And I get done, and I turn to my right, and there's the manager just standing probably three feet away from me, staring me down the whole time. And I'm just like, Egh. he's like, dump it out. 
I'm like, mm. uh, just quaking, quaking in my boots. Um, and go back to our table, realize my dad saw the whole thing. Saw the whole thing happen. Went and he goes and talks to the manager about it. And he sits back down and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm dead. I am, I'm all done. And he was, he was gracious about it. He knew what happened. And in that moment, I will tell you, I repented of stealing soda. Full 180 degree turnaround And I'm happy to tell you, and I don't say this to brag or pat myself on the back, I have never done it since. (laughs) By the grace of God. By the grace of God. Now, I'm not sure exactly how that brought about God's kingdom work in my life, other than the fact that I was no longer a thief. So maybe there's some sanctification uh, there. But repentance is ultimately about surrender. It's ultimately about that changed heart posture bringing freedom. Bringing freedom. So why do these three observations even matter? Here's why. They are fundamentally at odds with our worldly culture. These are all fundamentally in opposition to what the world tells us every day. So let's talk about that. First of all, convenience. All right? In contrast to God's timeline, the world values instant gratification. Everything right now. Faster is better. Right? We hate waiting in line, hate waiting in traffic. I hate this symbol right here with the core of my being. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see that when you're working on deadline trying to get something done um, for, you know, for homework or whatever. We are all about, it's all about convenience in our culture. All right? Number two, comfort. In contrast to the wilderness, the starkness of the wilderness, the world elevates comfort and comfort by distraction. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to not have to deal with my pain, not have to be alone with my thoughts. Here's a silly example of the world's elevation of comfort. This is a real thing that exists in the world. And I apologize if you have one of these. I'm so sorry. But this, I feel like if you can't even hold your phone, I gave... Um, I gave a friend of mine one of those prank boxes that's like not a real thing, but you think it's a real product like it as seen on TV. And it was this, like it was a Technic and it was called Technic. And I didn't know that it was an actual real thing until she sent me this picture. And I'm like, oh my word, here we are. Comfort at all costs. Distraction at all costs. That's why we doom scroll social media. That's why we have nonstop streaming entertainment. That's why we self-medicate. That's why there's addiction. We struggle with um, alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, video games, right? All of the things. 
All of the things to numb our pain and to stay in that, our comfort zone. Number three, control. So in contrast to repentance, we have self-determination. I want to do it my way. I want to do whatever makes me happy. I'm going to find what works for me. That's the message of our culture. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You get to decide. Stark contrast. And I don't have to tell you, y'all know, we are surrounded and we are bombarded by this messaging all day, every day. It's the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. And I think if we're not mindful, if we're not aware that we start being formed by our worldly culture, we adopt our worldly ways of thinking and we begin to build our own kingdoms instead of the kingdom of God. And so the reason that the inaugural message of the kingdom was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand is because surrender creates capacity for God's will and God's way to become a reality in our lives. And we have to acknowledge that we are not on the throne before he can take his rightful place on his. So in response today, I have three invitations for us. As I do that, I want to invite um, Abigail and Maddie to come back up. Three invitations. Very simple. Nothing complicated. Number one, I invite us to be patient. Be patient. Trust that God is working whether we can see it or not. I love the bridge of Waymaker where it says, even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. That's the truth of who God is. That's the first one. Number two, be present. Be present. Be available to what God wants to do in your heart. He wants to commune with us. He wants intimacy with us. But we have to slow down and we have to turn down the noise and we have to be quiet before we can hear his voice. He's not going to shout over the roar. I love that verse that says, be still and know that I am God. Another translation says, cease striving. Cease striving. We're able to do that in silence and solitude with him. And third of all, be penitent. Now, this isn't a very common word. I don't think it's one that I uh, use in my vocabulary very often. Synonyms for penitent are contrite, humble, repentant. I think that God desires to have that pos- us to have that posture of humility and surrender so that we can continue to turn from lesser things, convenience, comfort, control, to the better things of who he is and his will and his reign so that that can be fully realized and expressed in us. And I will tell you, I think if we answer those three invitations, then we get to be a part, we get to be partners with him in his ongoing kingdom work that he's undertaking both in us 
and that he wants to undertake through us. So as we close uh, today, I just invite you to use this song um, as a chance for us to respond at a heart level. Use it as a time to reflect. Use it as a time to confess. Use it as a time to repent and surrender to him. If there's something that you've been holding on to, to let that go, turn back to, turn back to him. Let's affirm that together.